Chapter 13 of Women, Children, Love, and Marriage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Women, Children, Love, and Marriage by Catherine Gasquin Hartley. Section 8 of Children Boy and Girl Offenders and Adult Misunderstanding. Much disturbing evidence on such a grave question as the bad behavior and consequent punishment of boys and girls in institutions and in prisons is made public from time to time to rouse the consciousness of all those who have had concern for the welfare of the young. Sometimes, the events recorded are of a more serious character. The attempted suicides and continued escapes of young prisoners certainly afford a rather tragic witness of some failure in our reformative efforts. Even under the borstal system of prison life, a system that is primarily intended to be humane and educative, and not brutal and primitive, the results obtained are far from being satisfactory. We cannot feel that we are achieving anything like what ought to be done in the difficult but necessary duty of reclaiming these young lives that, for one cause or another, have fallen to disaster. If we believe, as believe we must, that the old are responsible for the young, that the one generation must stand as guardians of the next, this problem of delinquency is one that we may not thrust aside. It is bigger than its immediate application in connection with reclaiming the individual boy or the individual girl. It touches the very deepest of our duties, our duty to the future. It is for us to ask many questions of ourselves, and of all those who are in any way connected with the young, questions to which it is not easy always to find satisfactory answers. It is obvious that something is wrong. I do not wish to harrow you with painful statistics or by reminding you of unfortunate incidents in connection with young prisoners that you ought not to have forgotten. You would not have forgotten if you had cared as you ought to care. I do not deny that much is being done, that conditions are far better than they were in the past, but this does not cover our failures or lessen our responsibilities. I plead for greater attention to and more understanding of the delinquent child. It is not and ever can be a question that can be fixed or finally decided. The child is an individual, and, in each case, the problem of the dealing with him must be a separate problem. This is certain. Only by understanding the child who fails, his own difficulties and his own failure, can we advance. By this way only can we give aid to these young offenders who, with the burden of ancient instincts and uncontrolled impulses, come into a world filled with undesirable examples, where they have to face manifold temptations. Let us try, then, to consider the delinquent boy and girl bearing these truths in our thoughts. And first we must acknowledge the complexity and terrible difficulty of the problem. Delinquency in the young cannot be explained by obvious superficial causes. The motivating impulse to naughtiness and bad conduct always lies outside of consciousness. I mean that the boy or girl who continuously does wrong fails altogether in good conduct, whether in a reformatory, in a prison, or a borsal institution is acting this way from a reason which is deeply hidden and which they do not themselves understand, while further, the present misbehavior is connected with some experience of the past that they have now forgotten. They are driven by this inward urge into rebellion and insubordinate conduct, and the help they ought to have is one of re-education by clearing up what was wrong in the past and this help must be given to them by those who are specially trained to understand. They cannot unaided help themselves. The things they do wrong, the breaking of rules, the failure in work, the violent conduct, the attempted escapes, in the vast majority of cases, are a defense against unhappiness that stalks as a deadly shadow following their young lives. Their treatment is a medical as well as a social and ethical problem. The young do wrong because their souls are sick. 
Such a statement is not fantastic. It is seriously true. To understand the meaning of the present bad conduct of anyone, but especially of the delinquent boy or girl, it is absolutely necessary to find out the motive which makes them want to behave badly. Always we have to search to find a reason why. To discover, as far as we are able, what it is causing the rebellion or the bad conduct, we must have wisdom to give up the old ignorant ideas as to its being possible to cure bad conduct in any way that matters, by scoldings, by punishments, or, indeed, any kind of direct attack. The fault that distresses those in authority in the present must be regarded as a sign of hidden conflict that has distressed the child in the past. It is this conflict, then, that must be discovered and dealt with. Never in any case can the lazy adult view be accepted that the delinquent child does wrong because of original sin. The young do wrong when they suffer, usually through the blunders of those who are supposed to train them. Their faults and behavior are a relief for pain they find too intolerable to bear. If the boy or girl is happy in harmony with his or her world, then that boy or girl is good. To find the real cure for this unhappiness of soul is, of course, a most difficult task. It can be accomplished completely only by those specially trained in understanding and analyzing the child's mind. But much good and a return to healthy happiness can often be gained by a little helpful understanding of the special problems of the individual boy or girl. It is the educator's duty to try to pour daylight on the hidden plague spots of the soul. This can never be done by cruelty or any form of coercive treatment which arouses fear, the most deadly enemy to right conduct. The way to educate the abnormal, the difficult boy or girl, is not to be shocked or to punish them, but to show them sympathy directed by knowledge. Teach these boys and girls that they have failed in good conduct, not because they are bad or different really from other more fortunate young people, but because they have been unhappy, ill with feelings of insecurity, of deficiency, of loneliness, of failure. Help them to understand the causes that have brought about this condition, why they have felt inferior, been unhappy, and then built up their characters by giving them new opportunities of finding happiness in their work and in their play providing new interests and creating opportunities for new responsibilities. These young people want kindness and to be taught to be sociable. Moral conduct is never easy. We all want what we do want. We surrender our wishes only because we find we satisfy other desires by doing so. We are praised and rewarded for good conduct and for preferring to give up to others what we want to do ourselves. And a very practical lesson in our training of delinquents depends on this. The educators must take the greatest possible care that bad conduct does not give greater pleasure than good conduct. Doing wrong so often opens for the young the widest and easiest door to gain excitement. If boys and girls in borstal institutions and in reformatories are left unnoticed and never given praise when good, they quickly feel neglected. And though they do not recognize these disappointed feelings, they act very strongly in setting them to seek for some kind of relief and if allowed to enjoy power when they become rebellious, through the notice that is bestowed upon them and the upsetting of the usual regime of the school or the prison workshop, they will continue to indulge in bad conduct whenever they are bored or, for any reason, crave some form of emotional relief. Bad conduct is primitive, infantile conduct, and one of its strongest characteristics is the tendency to proceed more directly, more unthinkingly, and more selfishly to the goal of the wishes than is usually done by the reasonable adult. The little child wants something, grabs at it, and when it does not at once get it, screams and breaks into a passion. Now this is just what is done by the delinquent boy or girl, whose conduct must be regarded as infantile, frankly selfish, and regulated only by doing what one wants and getting what one wants. 
Such conduct points to a condition of retarded growth and usually can be traced back to some mistake in the early training, which has prevented an adaptation of the character to grown-up conditions, so that the boy or girl of 17 or 18 acts still like the young child of 4 or 5 years of age. Every child who is to grow into a successful and happy adult has to grow out of this primitive behavior and to learn social standards of conduct, to think what other people want and to measure their own conduct in its relation to others. Thus, the real problem of the education of the delinquent boy or girl is to help them grow up, and the very first step is to teach them to stop thinking about themselves. They have to learn to turn outwards towards others and away from their own wishes and hidden desires that are the real cause of their unhappiness and bad conduct. And for this reason, even if for no other, there could be no possible form of treatment as harmful and also, I may add, so silly as that adopted, and still so often it is, in reformatory institutions of placing insubordinate prisoners in solitary confinement, even sometimes with the use of irons. No other form of punishment could be more disastrous to a boy or girl. To permit this cruelty is assuredly to increase the faults of character that are the cause of the bad conduct. By such insane punishment, the young offenders are separated from their companions, perhaps bound, and left without occupation to sit alone, brooding over their unhappiness, their thoughts necessarily fixed upon themselves. They cannot fail, by means of this unhealthy process, to be set more backwards into childish and bad behavior, driven further away from the adult and social conduct. Few of us, I think, understand sufficiently how continuous and almost unspeakably hard are the efforts that the delinquent has to make in order to achieve free education. He is overwhelmingly conscious, however much he may seem to be indifferent, of his own inferiority. All such boys or girls, who frequently become aggressive and insubordinate, need to be treated in such a way as will increase their confidence in themselves. This may seem contradictory, but it is true. If the young offenders are punished and discouraged, the trouble from which they suffer is sure to increase by making stronger the sense of self-depreciation. Too often, the devastating feelings are driven back into the obscure places of the mind. The unseen office of the directing forces that in secret issue the supreme commands that control conduct. It is in order the better to overcome the truths that would stab him about himself if he recognized them, that such a wrongdoer becomes aggressively self-assertive, indulges in foolish acts and marked insubordination. Such boys and girls are without courage, and all their pride boils up behind a maimed and timid character. The important thing to remember is that, though bad conduct comes from what seems insubordination, the characteristics of bad conduct arise from the state of the boy or girl's mind, and that state depends very much on the treatment he or she receives. If you cure the particular fault for which the punishment was inflicted, and the boy or girl loses his or her soul, you have done more harm than good. But the real position is worse than that, for if you hurt the young soul, you give up forever the opportunity of re-educating the boy or girl for good conduct. End of chapter 13